you misbehaved, but just the effect that it can have on innocent people. Yeah. Mm, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Great. Well, yeah. since uh, we're starting off on a rip roaring good time, uh, <laughs> I think everything is taken care of. Five. Four. Or three. <laughs> two, two. And one. What? What? Hello, world, in a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for coming in for the second episode of the uh, fourth season. Uh, my name is David Auger. I'm at MetalDave02 on, on uh, Twitter.com, and I'm joined, as always, by Beth. Hi, I'm at H-I-V-E-R-H-U-I-T on Twitter. And Veronica. Yeah, I'm at C-H-I-L-E underscore Pepper on Twitter. And this week we have yet another guest on the podcast. Um, he is from a TSN and he is a repeat guest on the podcast. And we are so absolutely just so happy to have him with us because uh, I believe it was some uh, it was sometime last month that he revealed that he was recovering from COVID-19. We have on the show with us tonight, John Liu. John, how are you doing? Uh, I'm feeling really Really good. A lot better over the last two, three weeks, Dave, Beth, Veronica. It's really great to see you. And thanks for having me on, as always. Um, I've been steadily getting better uh, over the last three weeks. I uh, I guess my symptoms started on September long weekend, and it was the evening of the Emmys, which I forget what the date was. I think September 20th that I went public with my the fact that I had been suffering from COVID just to try to spread awareness a little bit, um, you know, um, hoping that people would, uh, who weren't taking it seriously or thought it was a hoax that hearing a real life firsthand account might change some people's minds toward uh, treating the pandemic and their responsibilities to it more seriously. Uh, but uh, having said that, um, yeah, my, um, my recovery has been um, pretty steady and pretty positive. Uh, I'm taking blood thinners. Uh, will be for a total of about three months minimum to try to shrink a blood clot in my lung, which was the uh, the most serious uh, side effect or end result of uh, having contracted the virus. Technica uh, technically, it's called a pulmonary embolism. All I know is that it, um, it really knocked me on my ass, and um, so I uh, have to take it easy uh, while I'm on these meds, and hopefully it does the trick, and I'll be uh, back to full strength, full endurance sometime in December or early into the new year. Great. That's, um, well, I mean, as far as hockey goes, that's right in time for the supposed start of the season, but <laughs> past that, um, what a, um, I mentioned it before we started recording, but what a complete shock it was to read, um, that you, uh, contracted COVID and, uh, you had, um, you uh, yeah, you mentioned that you went public with it on uh, the Emmy weekend there around September 20th, September 21st. Um, would you mind uh, kind of summarizing like uh, what gave you the idea that you're sick? What gave you the idea that you were really sick? And then like the steps that you uh, took to help yourself? Uh, well, um it's uh, it's kind of a it's a long story to be honest with you, Dave. Um, so I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version if possible. Oh no, well we're here for it because it's uh, you know it's yeah. important for uh, people to hear it, and uh, plus we're just we're glad to hear it from you firsthand too. So. Okay. Well, By all means, take your time. 
Well, September long weekend, it was the uh, Sunday that I first started feeling uh, symptoms, uh, muscle pain, fatigue, and headaches. And um, I thought that it might have been the uh, result of doing some pretty intense yard work on Sunday afternoon. But those symptoms persisted for a couple of days. I golfed with some friends on Tuesday of that week and um, then slept 10 hours that night, which is really unusual for me. And so I woke up the next day and said, this is something's not quite right here. This isn't just some this isn't just lingering from yard work or allergies or something like that. So I called Quebec Public Health and requested a COVID test and uh, they uh, arranged for me to go on Friday of that week. So I went, got the old swab treatment um, and got my results on Saturday, just over 24 hours later. Wow, and when okay. the phone rang um, and I saw um, a phone number that was blocked, I thought, hmm, who could this be? You know, and then they said, you know, public health and um, they told me that I was, that my, that I had tested positive. And so it was, it was kind of surreal, um, just because I, I, I still didn't think that I did, that I, that I had the virus, but, uh, basically they told me at that time that, you know, I had to isolate, that I should hydrate, uh, try to eat, rest as much as possible. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll, um, I'll just try to wait out this, wait out the, the, the symptoms and hopefully the virus will just run its course and I'll, uh, you know, get healthy because there are no reliable uh, medical drug treatments that you can take, right? Um, and um, at that point, my wife, uh, Caroline, was still out in Nova Scotia at our at our Atlantic home. And I called her to, to let her know that I had contracted the virus. And uh, at that time, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to isolate and, you know, don't come home because I don't want you to run the risk of, of getting infected. And um, so we left it at that. But then on Monday, the following week, um, fairly early in the morning, uh, I experienced a dizzy spell, like a really, uh, it was like a, almost like a getting hit by an ocean wave um, type of dizzy spell. I got up to go from my office where I was sitting was going back to the bedroom to try to lie down to 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 hope that this dizzy spell would pass. Uh, and while I was heading out into the hallway, I lost consciousness and fell down half a flight of stairs. And so I I came to with my legs sticking through the banister rails, and oh. uh, and I was so disoriented that I was like, what just happened? You know, because I had pain in my elbow, pain in my knees, pain in my head mm -hmm. uh, from all the parts that had hit the stairs on the way down. And, um, so I basically, you know, pulled myself together, got back up and just went and sat down and rested. And then, um, a few hours later, I had another blackout and fell in my kitchen. And at that point, uh, I thought, okay, you know what? Um, I better call my brother who's a family physician in my hometown of Winnipeg. So I talked to him and told him what had happened. And, um, and uh, that uh, he, he said immediately, call 911, go to the hospital, right? So the ambulance came actually really quickly. And um, so uh, they loaded me onto a, onto a stretcher and put me into the, into the bus. And, um, and actually, I felt really quite calm uh, because uh, I thought, okay, you know what? Um, as, as disturbing as, as these incidents were, at least I'm going to the hospital. They'll find out. They'll figure out what's going on, what went wrong, right? And um, 
so um, got to the hospital and from there I think I'd called my wife uh, while I was still in the uh, in the in, in, in the ambulance waiting to, to go inside and um, and told her uh, what had happened and said you know it's like can you head home <laughs> you know because I'm in the hospital I will be in the hospital and I don't think I can continue to just wait out these symptoms anymore so she hopped in the car and drove through the night, um, the 11 hours from our, uh, our wow. home in, in Nova Scotia and got home in the wee hours of Tuesday morning. But uh, basically I spent 24 hours in the hospital. Uh, the first doctor that, that looked at me uh, suspected that I had a pulmonary embolism. And so he had me tested twice just to be certain. And that's exactly what it was. So they actually started my course of treatment um, on blood thinners in the hospital. Uh, they did a CT scan, an angio scan. Um, I can't count how many blood tests they took um, just to make sure that any that I that I didn't suffer any injuries or or anything serious in the after effects of the fall. And fortunately, there was nothing just, you know, superficial w wounds, if you want to even call them that. But uh, but yeah, so basically, um, you know, they they told me that's uh, that the uh, the, the, the fainting spells could have been caused by this, this condition. I won't pronounce it because it's just, I'd have to go into a long explanation as to what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, uh, the, the clot, uh, which COVID actually has been causing with the quite a great degree of regularity that doctors are finding. And that early on in the pandemic, uh, they weren't aware because it's a novel virus that COVID was affecting uh, the circulatory system in the body. And so there was a fair, apparently a high degree of, of clotting taking place that was killing patients. And so I, I look at that, that incident of falling down the stairs and going to the hospital as really um, a, a kind of a blessing or a, you know, the silver lining in the cloud, if you will, because if I had stayed at home and didn't go to the hospital, didn't get checked out by professionals, uh, that clot would have kept growing in my lung. And um, who knows what kind of consequences might have resulted from that. Um, because a clot heading from your lower body can go up into your heart, into the, either the left or the right ventricle. If it goes into the right ventricle, it heads to your lungs. And it's kind of a dead end there from what I'm told. Um, and that will cause a pulmonary embolism. But if it goes into the left ventricle, it's possible that it could travel up to your brain. And if that happened, then uh, you could suffer a stroke. And we all know what the consequences can be as a result of a stroke. If it stayed in the left ventricle and grew larger and larger, perhaps it could cause a blockage and a heart attack. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was really really quite lucky to have not suffered more damage than I did. Um, and so the fact that I, that I have to take meds, uh, for a few months, well, it's a small price to pay to, uh, ensure that's that I get back to as full health as, you know, to full health as, as, as soon as possible. But, um, yeah, so, so that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, it's been kind of an incremental, slow, but incremental improvement over the last three weeks. Uh, once I got home from the hospital, you know, my wife was, was looking after me and was just, you know, fantastic making sure that's, that I was hydrated and fed, although eating was a challenge. Actually, my appetite was affected. 
Um, and uh, once my uh, my fever subsided, that's when my when I started to recover with uh, with a little bit more uh, uh, a little bit more quickly, and um, you know, things turned for the better uh, fairly fast. But uh, if I I just want to say at this moment, if I um, if I do sort of blank. <laughs> or if I'm having trouble finding words or whatever, I, I'm, I don't know if it's the post-COVID fog that a lot of patients talk about, but I have noticed that I am a little bit, uh, you know, unfocused at times. So if I'm <laughs> not my normal self on this cast, then you'll know why. So, gotcha. Yeah. But You're doing that's, great. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Veronica. That was as succinct as a John Lou statement would be. So. <laughs> We didn't notice anything different, but um, again, uh, I said it once uh, before we start recording. I said it before all this, we were so thankful that you are okay, and like you said, a blessing in disguise falling down the stairs. Who would have thought? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, I'm very grateful um that again that I I'm grateful for so many things, frankly, and you know especially. With Thanksgiving, we have just coming out of Thanksgiving, or it was a week and a half ago already, I guess. But uh, yeah, you know what? For 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 everybody that's been so um, supportive and so caring and loving. Um, I mean, first and foremost, my wife, but my family, um, friends, coworkers at TSN, my bosses there, who were so um, they were just they were aghast, like they were really shocked um, that's that that this had happened. Um, but they were just so understanding and supportive um, and saying, like, don't come back to work until you're ready, you know, until you're right. Your health is your number one priority. It's the most important concern. And like even when I said that, yeah, I'm, I'm good to come back for the draft and free agency because, I mean, that's a that was a huge week. And I really wanted to be back in, in there. And, and, and they were still saying, are you sure? You know, they're asking me, are, are you absolutely certain that you're going to be OK to do that? And but it's like, well, you know, I'm not it's not like I'd be working a 13 hour game day, which at this point I could not do. Um, but, um, you know, hey, just doing stuff virtually for a few hours. That's OK. No problem. And uh, so, yeah, it felt good to get back to work, although it's it's going to be slow between now and the start of the hockey season for certain. But uh, but, yeah, it was uh, it was great to get back into it. And you know what? And sorry, I, I, I absolutely have to thank you guys here on the cast as part of the whole the whole hockey and social media community for people that did reach out and send me words of encouragement and um, everything, you know, and, and especially the ones who, who donated to, uh, to true North, true North aid, which was a charity that I, um, that I implored and urged people to support um, in my Twitter posting back in September. Um, the, the response and, and true North aid got back to me last week uh, just to, to mention that the, the, the support that they were getting um, from coworkers, from friends, from family members, from people on Twitter and Facebook, that they were so overwhelmed by it. So I guess I'm probably saying thanks on their behalf too, because everybody that turned this really uh, harrowing experience for me into a positive in that regard, did a lot of good helping people, indigenous Canadians who uh, who face so many challenges at the best of times, but even more so during this pandemic. Right. That's good. That's great to hear, actually, that a True North reached out, that, it, you know, there was a difference made there. That's really good. That's a lot of good news. I know <laughs> when I first saw one of your first tweets come out uh, during the draft, I was like, 
I know that guy. He's back. Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio meme. I know that guy. There, you know? So I was so happy to see you back and then he- yeah. hearing you on calls too. So um, happy all around and just very pleased. I'm talking a lot. I want to hear one of the ladies speak. <laughs> I have a question, John. Sure. Um, just so that everybody out there kind of knows how it works. Was there any, like, was there any determination of where you might've contracted it? Like, was there contact tracing? Uh, I don't think I'll ever know for certain, but when I go back to the, the week prior to my symptoms setting in, I am almost a hundred percent certain that I caught it at my local gym because since the start of the pandemic, um, I've, done everything public health officials have asked us to do, you know, wear masks, practice good hand sanitization, um, uh, practice social distancing, don't go to events or to people's houses where uh, you'd be putting yourself in an out of bounds situation or risking people if you happen to be asymptomatic and could be spreading the virus. Um, And so I, been living a pretty boring life, to be honest with you. So when I take a look at those five to seven days prior to getting symptoms, um, I really didn't do much. And uh, so the one common thread was that I went to the gym probably about five times that week. Um, and the thing is, my gym reopened back in June, late June. Um, and I was leery about going back. But when I came back from the Toronto bubble, that was another two months later. And at that point, cases were decreasing, had decreased through the summer in Quebec. And so I felt, okay, you know what, with the safety protocols that that the gym staff said that they had implemented, um, I thought, okay, I I, I think I feel comfortable enough, safe enough to go back into that environment. But uh, again, chances are that's probably where I caught it. And so... um, uh, there really wasn't much in the way of contract contact tracing that I could do. Um, I had to fill out an online questionnaire when I first um, when I first um, requested, so to speak, um, my my COVID test. And as part of the as part of the process, uh, Quebec Health Health phoned me as a follow up to get more information about the places that I'd been, people that I might have been in contact with, that sort of thing. And so when I told them that I had been at the gym for such and such dates, then they would have done the contact tracing to, I'm presuming this, they would have contacted the gym to say, there's a patient who tested positive, he was at your establishment yeah. on these dates. So mm-hmm. uh, from there, the gym would, would have to uh, make sure that's that that they would do their due diligence. And so, yeah. but hey, you know what? Um, the thing is that's as part of the province of Quebec's uh, red alert, gyms have been shut down for the month of October is again, right? So it's, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think that establishment would have had to take in any extraordinary measures, but the fact is, is that the decision was made for them anyhow, um, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks later. Right. Right. No, I'm just interested because there's so many sort of cases that you hear about where people have have been so careful all Mm. along and then they go, you know, they treat themselves by going to that family gathering or going to the gym or, you know, whatever it is, and then they get sick. And I have a personal interest in your story because my daughter just started working as a receptionist at the gym, at a gym Mm. nearby, 
and so like she's told me about all of the protocols that they have in place there but you know we've got like perspiring maskless people in a room together even though they've reduced the capacity of the gym Mm -hmm. by 50 percent and um so yeah so they're being careful there but i'm just like just concerned yeah and and you know what veronica the thing is that um when you talk about maskless uh perspiring and heavily breathing individuals i don't think the six foot buffer is going to be sufficient because those particles are going to be airborne for a much greater distance and so it really creates an environment that is extremely dangerous it's really risky and um so lesson learned you know what um i'm not going to go back yeah <laughs> i'm just going to do virtual classes from now on right yeah. uh, just because it's not worth the risk i mean the the follow-up to my um to my uh, m- the to my incidents or my experience with the with the virus uh, has been um, there hasn't really been any sort of follow up from public health from Quebec health standpoint they they haven't called me to go in and get retested because around the time that I was no longer infected um, was when cases were starting to spike and right. uh, they would basically only be accepting people. Uh, to take COVID tests if they were exhibiting symptoms. So it just feels like to me that I've been shifted from uh, active case to recovered, right? And um, so to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm if I if I'm immune, right? I may only be immune to one strain, right? Because there may be more than one strain of this virus if it's mutating, right, or evolving. And so um, I would like to have a blood test and get tested for antibodies, because if I if I did have some measure of of um, of immunity, whether it's temporary or not, I sure would like to uh, donate plasma to try to help whoever might benefit from it. But uh, Mm -hmm. having said that, at the end of this month, I do go in for a check, uh, an ultrasound to to uh, as a follow up to, to see what's happening with that clot. Um, which hopefully is well on its way yeah. to, to diminishing. Um, and, uh, you know, at that, t- at that point, that's why I'm going to be pushing that envelope and asking those questions like, hey, you know, how do I know about antibodies, immunity, all those things? Um, because yeah. since, since I'll be at the hospital, might as well make a list. And oh, yeah. Up, right? so. Absolutely. And as you say, being on the blood thinners, as you mentioned in your tweets, being on the blood thinners has its own sort of risk. Right. Because you can't injure yourself or cut yourself or whatever it is. So it's just, it's all a very, just a cautionary tale that um, everybody should just please be careful. Oh, absolutely. We're so happy that you're feeling so much better. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, people be careful and please take this seriously. But more than anything, like care for each other, like be responsible to each other. And that is that's that's the concept that's that I that it seems like so many people um, they they just refuse to accept that um, or um, rationalize it as being that's the real heart of these public health 
measures, you know, that we have to take care of each other. Because if you're infected and you don't show symptoms, if you're, if you're, and you could be a super spreader and you infect elderly people or, you know, random person on the street or your family members or friends, coworkers or whatever, well, do you really want to be responsible for being that guy or that, that, that woman, you know, um, it's, it, it's the responsible thing to do, but unfortunately there's just a lot of people that, that seem to think it's a hoax or that, that it's, that it's overblown, but it's like, well, you know what, even though I didn't have uh, a, an, a, an extremely severe case, it was really unpleasant. It was one of the worst medical uh, ordeals that I've, that I've endured in my life. And it's like, no, you, you really don't want to go through this. And no. <laughs> this is not a flu. It's not a cold. This is not some garden variety bug. This is a really insidious and um, uh, aggressive and unpredictable virus. So it's like people really need to take this seriously. I wish they would. So. And even though we're in Canada and where our leadership has from day one been very, you know, this is what you have to do. You have to do it all the time. You know, at the beginning, if you remember, Pierre Trudeau was telling us, stay at home and don't leave the house. It's like go shopping every 10 days. Mm-hmm. Everything was closed, at least in BC, everything was closed except the pharmacy and the grocery store. And, you know, like even, and so even though leadership has always been taking it very seriously and having the daily briefings and all of the, you know, precautions and all of that in place, there's still people in this country that are going to demonstrations because they don't want to wear a mask and they just, something isn't adding up for them somehow. Anyway. Well, you could say a lack of empathy. Um, Yeah egocentricity um yeah there's there's a whole variety of of personal personality traits that could be at play there but the bottom line is that okay well you know what you may want may not have a problem with risking your personal safety in that crowd of demonstrators but the fact is if you get sick um there are frontline workers that are going to be risking their personal safety to treat you um there are going to be again like i'm like i said earlier random people that you come into contact with or your loved ones that they could suffer greatly as a result of it. So, you know, these people that don't seem to have a problem with it. Okay. You know, until it, until it affects them personally and in a drastic way, I don't think they're going to change their minds, which is unfortunate because, um, you know, this is, this is, again, I can't say it often enough. This is, this is not a hoax. It's not a joke. This is, you know, this is, this is really serious and we're, we're still, it still feels like we're going to be in this, for a long time mm-hmm. so yeah that's true of course uh with beth and i here we're speaking on behalf of the united states of america <laughs> i mean that's a that's a whole other level of um oof, yeah, yeah. government doing yeah. this that and the other thing or nothing at all um as far as the u.s is concerned for listeners that know or don't know it seems like every state has its own plan because the federal government has just washed their hands of it, essentially. No countrywide um, rules or regulations. So every governor has their own, uh, you know, bits, uh, have, has their own protocols. For myself, being in New York, Governor Cuomo, if people haven't noticed uh, for 
a hundred days at least he had a daily briefing on everything that was going on numbers um uh just uh new safety measures new information about the virus that they could that he even said this could be the case or it could not be the case i'm telling you this is what we're figuring out and going from there and you know beth for you in virginia i'm not sure what the case was but um our governor did some briefings um and he actually he and his wife actually contracted covid mm, um mm-hmm. recently i think it was last month um and he's been like he, he's been okay um there have been a couple things like he went to um he went to do like a photo op at like a beach or something and he wasn't expecting people to be there because he had shut down the beaches and there were people there and then they came over to him and he had he didn't have a mask on because he wasn't he wasn't expecting to be around people and so it caused like kind of a uh, a scandal a bit um but virginia's kind of getting their numbers keep climbing um it's one of the one of the states that's in like the the just below the highest hot spots um rating um so it's kind of scary like i i work in a warehouse and i work with a thousand other people um and um like we all wear masks and we get checked every day temperature checked every day before we go into work but it's still kind of like i don't want to leave the house um Mm -hmm. yeah kind of thing right yeah, I know. I was just uh, I just pulled up New York's um, restricted state travel list and Virginia's on it. Yeah. Sorry to say. Sorry yep. to say, Beth. It's OK. Yeah. It's for uh, the best. Yeah, honestly. I mean, if there isn't going to be, um, you know, a better leadership at the top top at the federal level, then the states have to do what they can. And uh, as John said, yeah. Where's the end? Who knows? And that's uh, not great to think about, but it's kind of what we have to live with. I had today some indication that mask wearing is going to be is anticipated to go on through June 2021. Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was longer. Yeah. I know um, just recently it was either yesterday or the day before uh, Governor Cuomo was talking about because New York State now has a board of doctors talking about a vaccination plan. Because he said, we've done 12 million tests in New York State since everything started, 12 million tests. And he said, if we want to vaccinate everyone in New York and they're talking in the the idea is that there's possibly going to be two doses of a vaccine, that's going to be 40 million doses gang rolled out to people. And he says that we have no idea how we're going to do that. We did 12 million tests over seven months, getting people vaccinated. He said it's going to be quite a thing. And Veronica, that kind of matches the timeline that he was talking about. You know, he's saying, you know, of course, uh, essential workers like nurses and um, uh, police enforcement. And and I believe that like nurses and doctors, especially are going to be getting going to be getting the first doses, uh, the elderly. And then he has like a matrix of priority going down uh, people until it finally gets to me, which makes sense. But. You know, that's just uh, that's something else that's going to be all about this, because once there is a vaccine, how are you going to get it? And like you said, mask wearing probably until June. 
If you have your flu shots where you are, go get them. Mm-hmm. I got mine. Yeah, I'm getting mine next week. Taking the hard, kids. Hard to get in some places because there's such so so much uh, greater demand this year mm-hmm. compared yeah. to uh, previous falls, right? We're doing it through my office. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so the the, the whole family is going to go and we've got like strict appointments and when we can be there and everything. So oh, nice. Taking the kids and Robbie. I was lucky, like, my job paid for hours, I guess, because we work with so many people, and they yeah. actually had nurses, um, I think it was, I think it was nurses, they had, they had people come in, um, and they had a time set, and so they were like, if you have, like, you just had to sign up, basically, and then you went in on a certain day, and you got your flu shot, and then you went to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, um, in New York, um, thankfully, CVS in New York just has them for free, like, anybody can walk in oh that's awesome don't even need an insurance card walk in and they just you know stick you in the arm there Uh, and i think uh (laughs) wall i mean i think yeah cvs walgreens does it as well and i'm blanking now which is too bad but in for whatever reason new york's really on top of that part of it so as soon as i heard they had it i went to the cvs down the block and you know got it and yeah Sure, it felt like somebody punched me in the arm for two days, but after that, I was okay. Worth it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So here so we are. That... Here we are. <laughs> I was thinking how how are Dave or Veronica or Beth how you're going to segue into a conversation about <laughs> Canadians because we've uh, we've gone oh over half an hour on a very heavy topic. All right, so. Yeah, so, but I mean, this is, it would not be improper for us to segue. So speaking of getting uh, punched in the arm. The arm. Um, have you guys heard of this guy named Brendan Gallagher? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the biggest news, though, yeah. out of last week. Oh, my God, the, the oh. drama. Oh, the my drama. Lord, can you believe it? I was, I was aghast. I was like, man, there is. There is not a reality in this universe where Mark Bergevin says, nope, I don't want the guy. Come on. Oh, Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> no. So I think um, I forget when exactly that one tweet came out. Veronica, you mentioned it was Pierre Lebrun had mentioned that talks had fallen off uh, between the haves and um, yes. and uh, Gallagher. And for me, I noticed a, a tweet from one of the. Ah, radio fellows in Vancouver. I forget his name. Rick Dollywall. Yeah. He's yes. my friend. I Is like he him. your friend? He's yeah. a scallywag. Because he? he started a, <laughs> a firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> no, so that tweet happened. And of course, social media for the Habs on Twitter just went ballistic, berserk. Uh, just and saying was, like, how could this ever happen? And it was but, less than 24 hours after Tyler Toffoli had been signed. Yes. We had bliss <laughs> online. Like 12 for like, hours. And that was it. For one day. And we, and were then just, we were united. We were united. Everyone was time so a happy. Time. Yeah, happy to Foley's giving. Holy cow, that was a good day. <laughs> but um, and very unique in Habs in Habs uh, social media culture for sure. But um, so that happens. Then we hear that the talks have broken off, and I'm thinking, okay. Right, we got like another year or so to get the contract back on track, but didn't even need to take a year. It was the very next day, you know, yeah. the the Canadians drop one of their bomb tweets and say, hey, uh, 
Brian Gallagher signed for six yeah. years and six and a half, was it? Seven, yep. eight, eight, oh, no, yeah. yeah, six years, including next year. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. And uh, I mean, yeah, Gallagher's in it for the long haul and to have him, especially with this team that's being built. John, what did you think of the fiasco from last <laughs> week? Well, it's kind of funny that um, that <laughs> the, the timing of it, Dave, because um, uh the Tyler Toffoli signing took place in Vancouver radio, Veronica. Um, uh, Veronica. They called me and um, they, they asked oh, yeah. me to come on the air to talk about um, Tyler Toffoli. But, of course, they asked me the question relative to uh, Pierre Lebrun's tweet about uh, the talks between Gallagher and um, uh, Gallagher's camp and Mark Bergevin breaking down. Um, and... What I had said was that um, um, I could not see Brendan Gallagher not resigning with the Canadians, that this is something that occasionally, I mean, I'm talking about the talks breaking down, is something that occasionally happens in the course of negotiations, right? It's not always smooth. It's not always linear. And the timeline's unpredictable. But I thought, well, they still have the luxury of a lot of time. Um, till the end of June of next year, provided the dates don't change like they did this year so significantly. And so I thought, okay, yeah, they'll, they got lots of time to get this done. I don't really think that this is a, a concern. And the fact of the matter is that after uh, Pierre tweeted that the morning of the Toffoli announcement, I, I didn't go on social media. I didn't listen to the radio. I didn't pay attention to what they said or written. Me neither. But, well, just because it served nothing. It, ser- it would have served yeah. no purpose because the only people that are privy to the truth would be the two camps, right? And so everything else would just be bluster. And um, thought, you know what? I just don't feel like immersing myself into that because it would be another eight months this could drag on for another eight months right and in every city that brendan gallagher would go to would be he'd get asked about his contract right and so it came as a shock that it happened that fast the next day um because again we we tried to uh ask uh mark bergevin um the same day that tyler totally spoke to us about the gallagher negotiations but it's like you have to really craft your questions to try to provoke anything because we know what his, his ground rules are, right? And um, so, um, yeah, the, the fact that it happened the next day was like, I was a little bit surprised, but I wasn't surprised. Surprised at the timing, not surprised they got it done. What really surprised me was Mark Bergevang choking up and being on the verge of tears like probably three, four times at his press conference the day that's, that, that, said, uh, that he spoke to us following the signing, you know? That was a side that we had not seen Mark Bergevin. It was really, it was something, you know. Uh, it was a moment, and I think we'll always remember that because we've seen so many different faces and emotions from Mark Bergevin over the last uh, eight years. No, eight years? Twelve? What, yeah. What, yeah, eight years. Yeah. I forget what day it is, and now I'm forgetting what year we're <laughs> uh, But, uh, yeah, so yeah, it was the the, those two weeks, like starting with uh, with the, I guess, yeah, with the Josh Anderson signing. Um, or trade and signing. Um, it was it was quite the ride. It was a lot of fun, and I really welcomed it because I'd been out of it for so long. Um, 
well, I, I wasn't out of it any longer than anybody else was, but it's, I feel like I lost a whole month because of, yeah. because of the COVID. And so mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, it was like Christmas for me, you know, coming back with a draft and, <laughs> and, and, and free agency and then all these trades and signings and, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a fun couple of weeks for sure. But now I guess we'll just sort of have to wait with great deal of anticipation to see how all of these moves on paper will translate into uh, on ice performance. Without a doubt, absolutely. Now and there's wasn't oh go ahead Veronica. No, just gonna sort of quip that it what what you can't put down on paper is character. And it seemed to me that we got a bunch of characters. Yes. Added to the team now. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to start from the net out, um, the fact that they believe in uh, Jake Allen as much as they do that they would extend him already. And I mean, there's a certain tactical um, uh, maneuver behind that, but Knowing Jake Allen, uh, his history here in Montreal as a junior, uh, coming from Atlantic Canada, um, when he spoke to us and said that he's a big fishing and hunting and country music guy, I oh, thought, boy. there you go. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, kindred spirit with Carrie Price. You know, um, uh, that looked like a really good fit right from the beginning. Um, and then uh, the Joel Edmondson trade and sign. Um, I know a lot of people were down on that. Um but from having covered the the Blues Cup run last year, um, I, I had a pretty good read on Joel Edmondson in terms of um, what he's capable of doing, um, what his what his ceiling is, and the fact that he was partnering with Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko for a good part of that Stanley Cup winning season. It's like that that's a pretty good endorsement of what Joel Edmondson is capable of. I mean, even though he's not a, he's not a big name. Um, he's sort of the Alex Martinez to Drew Doughty, you know, um, the guy that doesn't get the fanfare, but is just a really solid, reliable, um, and valued pro to his coaches and his teammates. I thought that was a really good move. And then there was a quote from, um, Shea Weber. I can't remember who my colleagues, um, it might have been Eric Engels um, got and uh, Weber made some reference to the fact that it's like, yeah, you know what? Talk to anybody that plays against Joel Edmondson. They they won't say it's a whole lot of fun. And, you know, the fact that's that he's capable of keeping the crease clear. Um, you know, now you have two pairs, the top four, like very large um, with a high degree of uh, belligerence and, and strength and um you know, uh, the types of guys that's, that Terry Price will really value having in front of him. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of character in that signing as well. And then Josh Anderson, again, I know a lot of people were down on the fact that he missed almost all of last season with, with the shoulder injury and then the, the surgery. But to me, it's like, well, the guy's young. They're looking at a small sample size. I was especially uh, – shake my head i shook my head a lot at the you know the the responses it's like oh this guy can't stay healthy you know he's only finished he's only played the whole season once well first of all like the shoulder yeah that was a terrible injury for him to suffer in addition to the surgery but what prolonged it was that he tried to rehab it that they delayed surgery you know they thought that it could just heal through rehab as opposed to going the going under the knife but 
I think it was the year before his breakout year, he missed somewhere in the neighborhood of about 20 games, but it was due to a sprained knee, you know? Um, and then he had a, the year before that, I believe it was in the preseason, he suffered a broken orbital bone. So, I mean, the sprained knee and the orbital bone, that's just bad luck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's not, that's not a reflection of a guy being injury prone that he's fragile or, you know, brittle or whatever. So, I mean, some of the comments are just really ill and and the face <laughs> says it all, John, honestly. I was like, that's exactly how I yeah. feel 80% <laughs> of the time on Twitter. <laughs> but, but the more I read, you know, comments like that, I sort of wonder how many of these people uh, are projecting, you know, when they say that, oh, yeah, well, coming back from surgery, whatever, it's like, well, maybe you can't come yeah. back from surgery. Yeah, yeah. No. So it's like people projecting their own inadequacies or shortcomings <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. But... The fact of the matter is, these guys are the best in the world at what they do. They're freaks of nature. Um, <laughs> they work out like apparently Josh Anderson. I don't know him well. All I know is that every time he come to Montreal, he terrorized the Canadians with his size, his speed, and his hands. You know, um, his physicality. So I mean, that's addition by subtraction. Um, and apparently, he was loved by his teammates and and uh, John Tortorella as well in Columbus. So. Um, really think that, yeah, they, they, they gave up, um, a guy that was really highly regarded, uh, in, in the dressing room, but he certainly should fill a need for the Canadians. So again, the character plays into that as well. And, uh, and then Tyler Toffoli, I mean, the guy's got a Stanley cup winning resume. He plays with jam and grit. He scored 23 times, 30 once. Um, and so, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. Right. Um, yeah. So when you and Jeff Petrie, you know, the fact that in between all of that, Jeff Petrie re-upped, which was a real endorsement for what the Canadians are trying to do as well. You know, if he had any if he had entertained any thoughts whatsoever about spending the final chapter of his career in his backyard with the Red Wings, um, he put that to rest with with a, with a, a pretty team friendly contract, quite frankly. Um and um, yeah. so, yeah, and then Gallagher, that was the, the, yeah. the icing on the cake. So really, all the places, all the pieces are in, um, except for Philip Dano and Thomas Tatar, if, if Tatar will fit into the team's plans long term. But the fact is, by getting Gallagher signed now, that was so significant, not just for locking in a guy that's the heart and soul of the team, but also giving Mark Bergevin cost certainty to the same length of time that Josh Anderson would be a have but almost to the end of Carey Price's and Shea Weber's contracts too. So it really gives anybody that's contemplating coming to the Canadians or that wants to stay with the Canadians a real, well, in addition to the cost certainty, it's like, well, this is the cast of characters that will be here for the long term. So there's not a whole lot of questions about, you know, who's going to be around because they've already established that. And then now it's just be, it'll be adding the young prospects, uh, in, in, into the you know incorporating them once they're ready to come up like the the Caulfields and the the Primos and the Norlanders and whoever else is close to to, to making the jump right now I want to backtrack for a second you mentioned uh with the Allen's uh with Jake Allen's extension it's a bit of a tactic could you mm -hmm. elaborate a little bit on that you mean like a uh like a money tactic or more something else well the thing is that uh, until that signing, he was a rental, right? And I think we, most people 
uh, in the hockey world thought, yeah, they're going to be spending almost 15 million in goaltending. But the fact is, is that you're going to get good value out of a guy like Jake Allen, right? Who's been a starter in the league that's had some success, regular season success, um, and could spell off Carey Price um, in a way that he hasn't had the benefit of for the bulk of his career. Uh, so that looked like a pretty good trade. The, the trade looked like a, a good move for the Canadians. But then by adding him at a lower cap hit, it's like, well, what if at the end of this coming season, because we don't know how long the season's going to be or if it even will get off the ground. So that's a year lost in Caden Primo's development. So what if, yeah. what if Jake <laughs> Allen at the end of this season um, showed well, um, but might attract attention from teams around the league next summer. Well, then to get him back, if you feel that Caden Primo isn't ready, then how much would you have to pay when you know that you're going to have to take care of a lot of UFAs next year? So by signing him in for another two years uh, at under $3 million AAV, um, that gives you cost certainty for your backup uh, and also buys time, as Bergevin said, essentially, for um, – for Caden Primo to, <laughs> and I just thought it was really interesting that he was saying Caden Primo, you know, that it's mm, like he has right. anointed him as the heir apparent, right? Um, yeah. That kind of flew under the radar because we were talking about so many other things, but it was like that was a real endorsement of their of their their prospect, their prized prospect. So, um, yeah, it buys time for Primo to be ready. That if it takes two seasons, well, then you got a guy under contract for it, right? Uh, but having said that, next summer, of course, is the expansion draft. And so that gives you an NHL goalie that the Canadians can expose in the expansion draft because Kerry mm-hmm. Price has the no movement clause. They have to protect him, right? So so there is. And, and, and some people tweeted back at me because I mentioned the fact that they would have a goalie to expose. Uh, that's Michael McNiven. They can qualify him. But, well, hey, he hasn't been qualified yet. So... That un- until that sign sealed and delivered, you do not have a goalie that can be exposed in the expansion draft. So Jake Allen could give you, could be that guy as well. So that's the tactical end of it that I was referring mm-hmm. to. Um, but from a hockey standpoint, yeah, there are some uh, there are some strategic um, uh, maneuvers uh, that that Bergevin made that uh, that only time will tell whether it comes to pass or not. We'll see if Jake Allen stay here is. One year or two years, hey, because we can't just be concerned about the NHL. The AHL is 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 part of the equation too. So, absolutely, absolutely, right. That's right. I liked <laughs> everything that was just said. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've no no feedback, positive or negative. <laughs> Only not. <laughs> no, that was um, no, it was really great. It really set it up, Veronica. No, just something else that, to backtrack again a little bit. That's something else that, uh, John, that you mentioned about these NHLers being freaks of nature. You're correct, because I saw an NHLer at Second Beach in Vancouver a few years back, and I have never seen anybody in real life that was like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even believe it was pop. Like, you see it on TV, you see it in the movies and everything else, but just a specimen like this, like, anyway. It was yeah. just awe-inspiring. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you name it. Like, not just hockey players. Basketball players, football yeah. players, 
baseball players to varying degrees. Well, yeah, you know what? Yes, I, I will say that. Even the old baseball body, you know, like, I mean, I, when I started with TSN, I covered David Wells in Toronto. And, I mean, he looked more like a guy that you'd see on a Harley driving, riding around in <laughs> highways of Southern California as opposed to being a Major League Baseball pitcher or Bartolo Colon. But, again, you know what? These guys are freaks of nature in different ways. And David Wells used to say that he had a rubber arm, you know, that how could a guy with that physique be a professional athlete? And he always used to say, he said it to me on a few occasions, that he has a rubber arm. And so <laughs> that in and of itself is, that's kind of freakish. It's, 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 it's a gift, right, that not everybody yeah. is, is, is blessed that way. And the fact that he was a lefty, too, well, that made him that much more valuable. Um, but, um, um, yeah, I, these guys are all, the, they are... I don't know how you, if you talk about the one percent or one tenth of one percent, yeah. In terms of uh, on the scale of physical, um, uh, not just their not just their strength and their speed and their skills, their hand-eye coordination, but also their recuperative powers too. You know, in a di- yeah. when you put that mm-hmm. with medical science and all the tools that are available to professional athletes through their clubs, it's like well, that just makes these freaks of nature that much more impressive in terms of the types of injuries and surgery that they can overcome and recover from in time frames that would be completely unrealistic for a normal individual. Shea <laughs> Weber comes to mind when his career was over last summer, last season, oh. when he died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? And people also, when, when, when people sign, you know, that they toll the bell for the end of somebody's career or the impending end of their career. Well, they're kind of forgetting the fact that these guys didn't get to be the best in their profession, the best in the world, without having a competitive drive and a belief in themselves that is almost unhealthy, you know, like, <laughs> like it's obsessive. And that's what makes them great. Yeah. And I don't use the word great very often, but yeah, you have to include the ones that are great, the ones that are exceptional, the ones that are... Um, that that set themselves apart from the ordinary because you know what you can run into plenty of people that that say that oh yeah I was a really good junior player I I could have gone I could have made it or whatever and it's like well were you ready to pay the price you know uh, like yeah. the physical price the emotional price the the do you have the mental toughness and resilience to be able to get there and stay there getting there is only part of it staying there is the hard part especially forging out a career with of any length of time in any in any sport and so yeah you know when shea weber who is like does not like to be questioned about any sort of uh he does not talk about injuries he does not talk about you know anything that would uh, that would hint at uh vulnerability or weakness you know a guy that proud and that competitive if you if you say that his career is over, well, he's just going to work that much harder to, 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 to shut you up and prove you wrong. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's, and yes, he's, he's, is an absolute freak of nature. Like when you yeah. watch on a day-to-day basis, it's like, no, that, and, and we don't even get to see him. We being the media, we don't even get to see his preparation and his process that, that, that allows him to be able to play at the level that he does and accomplish the feats of, of strength and, and, and power that he does too. So, yeah. His famous quote from his first season as a Hab, it's just pain. 
Yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, after the trade, I was down in Nashville uh, doing a story of the, about the, the the moving parts, and and I spoke to Ryan Johansson, and he told me that he never used to, as a young player in Nashville, he never used to like to um, show pain or admit to being hurt or whatever, because if Shea Weber's your captain and he's setting that bar that high, then it's like you don't want to disappoint him. No, you don't want to no. Standards. You know, and so Johansson basically was saying is that Weber, without actually saying anything uh, or doing anything directly, uh, made Johansson into a, a, a tougher player. Right. Uh, I mean, not like tough guy, you know, fisticuffs, but yeah. just, you know, yeah. a, a more just mentally tough, you know, somebody that yeah. was more more prone to to play through whatever than he might have been had he not been a teammate of Shea Weber's. And and I think he also said to me, it's like, yeah, I don't think Shea feels pain. <laughs> so, well, hey, the fact that he admits to it, but says that it's only pain. Well, yeah, that's that's yeah. part of the guy's mystique. It's part of his his aura. Right. So yeah. I mean, How like he tucks as he head to the face. Where oh, he's my just gosh. He's all over himself and keeps playing. He's like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hey, mean, like, well, he lost a tooth, and we didn't know for a long time. No! <laughs> so. Oh, my God. That was such a scandal with you ladies. I swear. We took one week to go oh, into forensic God. files. Instagram. Where was he smiling? What live feed can we find with his mouth open? Where's the missing tooth? It was quite an ordeal, John. <laughs> but, hey, you know, it's it's what we're good at at the happy hour. So, <laughs> um, We're... Uh, just a few minutes with our time. The only significant um, news that that's coming to mind right now it deals with Jesperi uh, Kotkaniemi. He mm-hmm. shipped off to Finland. He's going to be playing with Asat. And um, if I recall from either a year ago or two years ago, Asat is kind enough to link up streams of their games on Twitter. I do oh, not goodness. know if they're going to do that again this season, but given everything... I have to assume that, um, you know, Asat will probably do that. So make sure to follow, you know, listeners here. Make sure to follow Asat's uh, Twitter I follow them already. Account. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm quite I sure that they've had a, a big jump in their follower. Yes. <laughs> they did have a, the announcement. So. And they had a video today of um, Yasperi at practice as well. Oh, no kidding. See? Oh, they, yeah. They're on it. So they are, they are at... <laughs> Porin Asat. That's P-O-R-I-N-A-S-S-A-T. Porin Asat on yes. Twitter. And uh, yeah, like I said, they usually uh, have a, they yeah, they just have a stream with games on. It's not going to have overlays with time, with score or any of that, but you'll have the Asperi yeah. Kulkan Yemi doing what he does best. <laughs> okay, well, and we have to, uh, we should probably uh, remind your listeners of the at least five, maybe six hour time difference, right? Yeah, yes. that is true. So it would be and probably if these are seven o'clock games. Hmm? <laughs> oh, yeah, that would work. Oh, yeah. So if it's uh, say uh, one o'clock Eastern start, then it'd be like a ten a.m. start out west. Yeah. So give or take, yelp. That's yeah. right. So product pro- productivity will take a, a little bit of a hit, <laughs> just like when the World <laughs> Junior Championships. Are in <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas. Soon. Oh yeah. When do the <laughs> World Juniors start up, John? Uh, Christmas Day, actually. Yeah. For the first what time a- since I believe it was 2005, Christmas Day, because uh, 
there will only be one arena available, um, the the Oilers' home, right? That's yeah. not going to spread over two cities because they're uh, readopting the Edmonton bubble. And yeah. so, so they'll have three games per day. But in order to fit them all into the same time frame, uh, they're starting on Christmas Boxing Day. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. That's uh, a little. I know what uh, I'm doing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Great, great for all of us at home. I just, Yay. I feel a little bad for the uh, the kids are going to have to be playing through that. But you know, what can you do? I'm sure it's nice for the families. But my kids going to be playing the World Juniors. Happy Christmas and yeah, Merry Christmas, fun. everybody. Yeah. So. 2020. Yeah. You got to adapt. Exactly. Yeah. Darn it. We're all and going to be so much more adaptable. Oh yeah. As we yeah. Uh, come out of this experience, right? Yeah. Here's the hope. I'm certainly hoping for that. <laughs> but um, yes, we're coming up, coming up on our time. And uh, John, once again, thank you so much for joining us. And if you want to stick around for a few minutes later, if you have time just to chat, we would love just to yak your ear off a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Just for, just for a few minutes. No problem. <laughs> Absolutely. So. With all that being said, thanks for uh, joining us at the happy hour. Uh, the happy hour. I've never <laughs> done that before in my life. And goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.